Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're talking today about... Bridgerton. So we're talking technically about season two, but since Adam actually binged the entire thing from start to finish, we got to talk about both seasons. We also have to talk about both seasons because as I think anyone, regardless of their sexuality would agree, the Duke is hot. Yeah, the Duke, the Duke is an attractive gentleman. And I'm, uh, I, I'm Adam saying that always objectively... <laughs> That's my professional opinion is that, uh, you know, I, I'll just say that when I brought up that we were going to discuss this show, uh, this was this was a show that my wife said, oh, I'll, I'll watch season one. Let's let's watch that together. Yeah. You know, so in other words, mm-hmm. uh, the, the that dude- was big of her. <laughs> <laughs> That was nice. So we've got to we got to talk about season one. We got to talk about season two. Let's let's get into it. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, and I and I have to say that. So with season two, I will say that a little bit of the delight that I experienced in season one was missing. I, I don't like starting on a kind of negative note, but I'll say that first of all, just the sheer surprise factor, the delightful to me surprise factor of having this multiracial period costume drama was thrilling mm-hmm. initially, mm-hmm. like so exciting in and of itself felt so novel. And that really, it puts a smile on my face just thinking about it, which is two years into the pandemic, increasingly harder to do. So that was something that I had been looking forward to Bridgerton season two, really since the end of Bridgerton season one. Mm -hmm. Bridgerton season one, as we've established, and yet I will continue to reiterate, Mm -hmm. the Duke was really a a high point in my pandemic experience overall and his not returning, you know, I got to say it goes with my, the mentality that I have in my life, Adam, that you need to know and that I'm considering as my epitaph for my one day gravestone is the following. Always leave the party while you're still having fun. And I will say that the Duke, he did that. He had a great time season one and he's like, it's not going to get any better. And he left and respect because, you know, you made something perfect. <laughs> it was really fabulous. The romance between the Duke and Daphne 
uh, let, let's, I guess, start with that. And then we'll go into what we're technically supposed to be talking about uh, season two. But let's, I would love to hear from you. What made that so perfect? Yeah, I think that what makes that so perfect beyond the, you know, initial idea that there are these, you know, really attractive young people, that there's this season that's occurring whenever this show takes place in the early 1800s or whatever it might be, um, there's a season of, you know, high society all sort of walks the promenade and and Madden goes to balls and sort of pairs up with these eligible people. And what, what the audience, I think, loves beyond their physical attractiveness and charm is that he is dead set on never producing an heir, right? He, he This is what he's told his father. He will never have a child. And she is presented as someone who loves her large family, her family of siblings, and they're all running around and they all, you know, love each other and they give each other a hard time. And it's just this very beautiful scene. And she's presented as someone for whom having children would be the ultimate. And as a, as a duchess, you know, he's a duke. And so if she were to have children, they would be, you know, really high society. They'd be achieving, you know, and so Everything that draws people to the royal family, you know, this show does a good job of drawing us into not only that status element, but but also the fact that they're all really hot. You know, the fact that they're all really. I guess guess that's partially why it resonates with me so much, because I have so much in common with the characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also am really hot. So that really resonates for me as Mm -hmm. a hot person. Mm -hmm. And in I like how you're just like nodding and smiling like, you know, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Additionally, I will say that my love story with my husband parallels that of the Duke because my husband on our actually before our very first date told me that he would be con- willing to consider living in Manhattan or Westchester but he would never live in New Jersey. <laughs> and I'm speaking right now in fact from the closet of our home in New Jersey. In New so, Jersey. <laughs> so like Daphne, I won basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do, I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so we're we're really the same actually. Well, it is. It's it's how we yeah. connect with the characters is that we tell ourselves these things like I will do this in my life but not that, you know? And then over time a, a really like self-actualized person looks at those decisions and realizes they can change their mind based on the circumstances. We can change. Right. In other words, things. right. The sense of who you are is who you are rooted in that particular time mm-hmm. and rooted in those particular circumstances. It was understandable why he refused to have an heir. It wasn't, it wasn't like a completely off the wall kind of idea, right? He came from this, ridiculously abusive. Mm -hmm. That was the only parental relationship that he had and knew, right? right? So uh, that makes sense to me that he would just kind of cut himself off from that option. And at that point in time, it made sense to him. But the wonderful and confusing and confounding thing about life is that circumstances do change. And things that might have seemed ridiculous or odious to you at one point in your life now seem like a really good idea. Right. And so, you know, that premise also that they were, that it was all a ruse, you know, they were going to do this, you know, to trick everyone to get out of their awkward uh, requirements, you know, that pushed them together. And then, you know, only once they, once they're together, they, do they realize they really have these, these lustful and then also caring feelings about each other. Right. You know, one thing I'll just say about the Duke is that 
there are two ways, very, very polar opposite ways that you can react to something as traumatic as his upbringing, you know, where his mother dies in childbirth and his father thinks he is some sort of imbecile because he has a stutter, you know, something as simple as, as uh, you know, that today it would be, you know, you watch that scene and it's heartbreaking. Because it was just such a an innocent little boy with a stutter and his father almost, you know, really disowns him because of this. So you can react to that in the way that the Duke did, but you could also react to that as I would, you know, just skipping to the the end here. If this if this <laughs> character walked into my office, yeah. I would try to try to help them see that they could also try to be the exact opposite of what their father was to them, you know, that that if they wanted children themselves, they could have children and be the exact opposite of everything that they hated and despised in their own personal childhood. You know, a lot of people do that too, I think, and do that really successfully. What do you think? I think that that's, I, I think that's extremely admirable and very hard. Yeah. I think it's really hard to deviate from the way in which you were raised, if it's not a conscious effort. Right. Our default modes go to the patterns that we grew up in, which makes sense Mm -hmm. because that's the way the world made sense to us in our formative years. Right. So I think that I, I understand a person saying like, I don't know if I'm up to that challenge of mm-hmm. like rebuilding the world on my own. Mm-hmm. I get it because sometimes I wake up in the morning and, you know, I, I live in some pretty nice circumstances and have a wonderful family and home life. And sometimes I get up and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so the idea of a complete overhaul of everything right. is a very intimidating right. idea. And and I will say it's intimidating regardless of your level. I mean, obviously from the show, the Duke's pretty well off. Mm-hmm. He's, he's living in things that, you know, make the British Museum look like a little cottage or pool house. <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, oh, that's one of our homes. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. one of our homes. You know how it is. Yeah. But, you know, so in other words, what I'm trying to say is regardless of your material circumstances, right. you right. can have that degree of hardship and you can have that degree of, of fear. Yeah. And, the, you know, there's another element to it, too, that you're getting at, I think, is also like he objectively, as we've already said, he's, you know, charming and good looking and has all this wealth and status. And he doesn't see it because of the flaws that his, you know, he was growing up hearing about, essentially. All he could see, and this was a very powerful scene toward the end of season one, when Daphne essentially, you know, tells him that she loves him for his flaws, that he doesn't have to be perfect to be her husband, you know, and to be the Duke. And I but, think but, that, but he is kind of perfect. But he is, right. So, That's the irony. You know, is, like yeah. Daphne was big of you and everything. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, I mean, what, like, what are the flaws that he likes having sex like on you know the ladder and the bookshelf you know which must be uncomfortable right i mean it it can't be as comfy as as the bed right but like but for you i'll put up with that yeah no okay thanks (laughs) (laughs) you know but but yes sorry sorry, i don't mean to undercut your your bigger point which is (laughs) yes there is there technically there's not such a thing as perfection we do love each other for 
our flaws as well as our strengths. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. But it's very hard to see that when, as we've said, you've self-conceptualized through the lens of someone who could only see your one flaw. Right, right, right. Which um, is now gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I mean that that's you're 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 right. I mean that he this is something that is a disconnect between like the world of the show and the world of the viewer looking at you know, we the viewer looking at it is we're looking at all of these characters frankly and saying like which one is more perfect than the next. You know, that's one of the and and to see it reflected in this way with the, the the stylized you know castles and outfits and everything that they do in this show in this beautiful multicultural way, which they only sort of allude to you know sort of from from uh, the side you know of like there's reference to the queen being black and that changing everything for the world of that they live in you know and so this show is is just so. Interesting. It, that's one of the things that draws the viewer in, I think, is just take take a look at this fantastical world. And it has just a, a kernel of truth. Apparently, the queen at that time really was dark skinned. And there was some uh, controversy about how she was portrayed in, in portraits, that they lightened her skin for those mm-hmm. portraits, et cetera, et cetera. But the world that we're watching in Bridgerton is is obviously sort of exaggerated. And to that point, they take this premise that, you know, you're born with responsibilities into roles and you, when you get to a certain age, you fulfill those roles. They carry that one premise from season one to season two. And as, as I understand it, each of like the books that the series based on goes through a different child in the Bridgerton, you know, family. And so in season two, we meet Anthony, right? Or not, we don't meet him, but we, we follow his, his sort of arc a little bit yes. more closely. Tell me yes. a little bit about how you, as a viewer, sort of saw him and, and what you thought the the main sort okay. of tension so was for there. whatever reason, and uh, I, I regret disclosing this because maybe it says too much about me personally, and you know, so I never, I never object to that. Go ahead. I, I yeah, I know you don't because like I see the <laughs> wheels churning in your head, being like, oh man, this girl. So yeah, I find Anthony's like sort of initial stick in the mud, difficult ways. There's something about that that I find very appealing in a, whether it's a masochistic way Mm -hmm. or it's like, I I just have this general mentality in like all of my life, which is maybe why I'm exhausted all the time (laughs) of this idea of like, I can fix this. Mm. Like I am a fixer. I'm going to fix this. Like you're messed up now. Don't worry. Like we're we're gonna get over it. Mm-hmm. So I do find it appealing. And this whole and actually, I think there's the common denominator with the Duke, right? The idea of something in the man as being a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which is on one level comprehensible and on another level so stupid because <laughs> you know, like, like why are we as heterosexual women always attracted to like can i say the dick like like can i are we doing that like i, I don't know what the rules are in this podcast I like either yeah uh, well i guess we're making the rules we're doing it yeah. there's nobody else here so right. um <laughs> so i guess uh maybe the sound guys will chime in with their rules later but i i, I guess like why does that 
irascible, annoying, you vex me mm. temperament. What what is the appeal in that? Why do why are we attracted to that rather than like the guy who's like, I'm gonna be nice to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you feel special and loved. What was right. so so my friend Dr. Yeah. Stern, what's up with that? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. All right. So if I'm gonna uh, I'll put on my uh my professorial hat here for a second. You know, there's a lot of evolutionary drives. There are a lot of evolutionary drives behind this. And so, you know, of of course, traditionally, the way that this comes out in men is is infidelity, spreading their seeds, so to speak, trying to impregnate as many women as possible so that their genetic material gets passed on and as wide a net as possible. This is obviously uh, something that in good society we try to overcome, right? In women, the way that it is traditionally thought about and uh, this, you know this this goes sort of back to what is his name Stephen Pinker uh, the Harvard sort of evolutionary psychologist where the idea is essentially that women are evolutionarily incentivized to be attracted to the you know the the sort of most physically fit aggressive you know physically well man and then settle down with the most kind-hearted caring, I will take care of you, nice guy, man, right? So that's the version that evolution would would lead to infidelity, you know, in, 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 in women. I'm obviously speaking in broad generalities, but what your question is sort of like, why are we attracted to the men that, that vex us? And in some cases, you know, you can flip it around and say, why, why would you be attracted to a woman that vexes you, you know? And there's a certain degree of being attracted to the things that are dangerous because those same dangers can be protective, right? They can be providing that not, not providing in, in the, in the nice guy way, but providing in a fulfilling kind of way, right? The things that make us sexually attracted to people are very sort of close in the limbic system that we share with our common ancestors back to, you know, evolutionary lines in terms of anger and rage and attraction and pain. All of these things are very base, right? They're very, they're very early evolutionary traits that we share with many of our other common ancestors. Anyway, long-winded answer. I'm going to take that hat, that professorial hat right off because I hate hearing myself talk like that, but that's my, that's my thought. (laughs) I'm into it. it. I'm into it. I feel like (sighs) it's just, it's just, um, I, I guess I see it differently because for example, I totally see 
I see why Anthony's attracted to Kate because Mm -hmm. she is someone who from the get-go, right? She comes in, same as the Duke, Mm -hmm. being like, I'm not playing this game. Right. I'm not part of this. I'm not looking for a mate. Like, I have removed myself from the fray. Okay? So there's an element of the appeal of that, of someone being like, oh, who's the person Mm -hmm. standing on the side, as opposed to all the interchangeable people. And if if you're unhappy with the game that you're playing, then someone who's outside that game seems very appealing, right? So I, I, I want... Maybe you can tell us all about like Anthony, how he ended up in this role. He's sort of like head of the family, but he's really just sort of like he was a kid when he landed in that role. So, okay. So Anthony is the oldest of the, there are eight Bridgerton children. So they make, they make me feel slightly bested (laughs) as the mother of only six, but yet not incentivized to do anything about that. Uh I would say that he, I think he was about, I think he's about 18 years old, maybe, or 16 to 18. He's an older teenager when the patriarch of the family, he and his dad are going hunting together. They go hunting and they come back and they decide to, you know, pick flowers for the women in the house, mm-hmm. as one does. As one does. And he, the father, is stung by a bee. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the father goes into anaphylaxis mm-hmm. and dies. This mm-hmm. is, as we mentioned, this is the pre-EpiPen era. Yeah. So he dies from this bee sting. And so not only is Anthony present, and not only does he see his father die in this like extremely unpleasant and uncomfortable and shocking way. Mm-hmm. But immediately he's thrown into the role of protecting the other children from this, which has happened on the grounds mm-hmm. to now he's the, the quote unquote man of the house, even though his mother is who's pregnant with, I guess the final Bridgerton with mm-hmm. number eight. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's put into such a role that like when his mother is in labor and is in like a really tumultuous labor where whatever the baby is turned, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. They're like, do you want us to save the mother or the baby? Right. And the mother's like, are you kidding me? Like, why is that not my choice? Mm. Like, Like, it's my body. It's my baby. Mm -hmm. Why are you going to give it to Anthony? He's like, I mean, okay, so that's pretty traumatic also, right? That he's like, you got to try to save them both. Like, you you know, you got to like, and and he's like, do whatever she, his mother wants. But in the meantime, he's in charge of all the finances of the house. He's the houses, I guess, because mm-hmm. there are a few amazing houses that apparently whatever life insurance policy this this guy had is is really rocking because there's no financial straits. Nobody seems to need to do anything for a living. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're like really landed gentry. They they really they got it going on. There's there's unlimited cash. There's no financial stress. Everyone seems to be doing fine. Yeah. I, I feel like all those scenes that you described, uh, you know, the bee sting and the, his mother's torment after that, the, the grief that she experiences where she's really like not uh, functioning, you know, for all these children. And then he's put in that position, that scene where, where she's giving birth and he can't make up 
his, he can't make the decision, right? He, he defers to her. That is almost presented like that's the trauma that then changed who he, how he saw the world and what his responsibilities were. Right. So from then on, it was almost like presented, like he didn't care about love. He only cared about fulfilling his duties. Right. Right. And, And, and I think the the tension of second of the second season is how that bumps up against these feelings of lust for Kate uh, Sharma, who's not right of the of the like uh, high society. Uh, she's almost like she's been cast out. You know, she's she's born from another marriage, and she is if her sister is has been deemed the diamond by the queen and she's like the ideal choice then kate is almost the the least ideal choice right based on duty right, right. she's an old woman she's 26 right she's like a crone it's uh-huh. over for kate uh-huh. i mean I, I just can't get over that it's like <laughs> what you know like oh yeah she's a spinster at 26 and exactly like edwina who is really like She's the game player, but to be a little obvious and go right. into they Pow Mal is the game that's like sort of croquet that um, they play. And Edwina is very genteel. And like the Bridgerton siblings, Kate immediately kind of like rolls up her proverbial sleeves and is like, I'm just gonna like like hit the shit out of this ball. Right. Have at it. And I think that all the siblings have a degree of respect for her mm-hmm. from that game, from her her unwilling her willingness to be open and herself mm-hmm. rather than engage in this elaborate you know, just like the dances that they go to where there the, there's this elaborate choreography, there's also this elaborate social choreography that you're never supposed to show as a woman, certainly any streaks of fire or yeah. competitiveness mm-hmm. or, you know, anything like that. It's supposed to be extremely controlled. Mm-hmm. And Kate's just like, eh, no, I'm not really that interested. Yeah. One, of, one, one of the things I thought was so interesting is that we get those rules about proper propriety, but you know, being just just so from about from society. But then within the Bridgerton household and family, it feels like it's almost like they're exceptions. Like they they treat each other like we would treat each other in modern society. You know, like giving each other a hard time, loving each other, hating each other, giving you know roughhousing and playing and making fun of each other and everything that that big families will do. And it seems almost from the get-go, like their family, his family, Anthony's family, wants him to be happy. His mother is almost like trying to persuade him to choose love instead of duty. And I forget if it's his brother, Benedict, or someone else that at some point says to him, you know, brother, when you choose these the you know your familial duty you think you're doing it for us but you you only make us feel bad for you essentially it was one of the most powerful even though i can't remember exactly who said it it was it, i remember that it sounds being, like a benedict line yeah it, it struck me as very powerful because it, he thought he was doing this for his family when in fact they they all look at him and just want him to be happy you know they actually love him and care about him and want him to be happy and so the way that the show is constructed it's to lead the viewer toward this, like, if he chooses Kate, he's choosing happiness. If he's if he chooses Edwina, he's choosing duty and an unhappy life of service, essentially. And pretty harsh on Edwina, who seems to be a really who's nice lovely. Yeah. yeah. 
They, and I thought by the end of the season, I thought the show did a very nice job of showing her as a complete person too, and showing her that she didn't, she wasn't in on the, you know, the whole scheme with the in-laws and she wasn't, she was sort of being used as a pawn and didn't really appreciate it. So she, she actually ends up being one of the most well-adjusted characters and it, it sort of hinted she's going to end up with like the queen's nephew, the prince of Austria or something like that. Right. So it's like, yeah, you did well for yourself. Yeah. She's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we shouldn't be too worried about her. Uh, I did think that, I thought that it wasn't so great like the uh, the mom, Mary. You know, here, she'd made this huge shift in her life, right? She went, she went, she left England all those years ago. Mm-hmm. And now she kind of seems a little doormatty. What's up with that? Yeah, that's a character I don't think we got a full view of. You know, this right? is... In my line of work, it would be sort of like, well, I need more information to talk to this person and learn what's going on. You know, there, we, we just get the little glimpses based on like the history of, you know, like it's it's almost like, you know, you're being told about. And again, I'm a psychiatrist, obviously. In my line of work, it's sort of like you might hear about a patient with a, a two liner. Oh, this is a such and such year old man comes in with these symptoms. You know, it's almost like we got that treatment. You don't actually get to know the person until you sit down and talk to them, we never really got to speak to the mom. You know, like we never got her as a full, complete character. All we really get is that she wants both of her daughters, even the one that is her, you know, her stepdaughter to be happy. And so it is an interesting, she's used almost as an example of someone who early on chose love left high society, went to India, and look at how it turned out for her. That's sort of part of the premise of season two, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I wish that that had been more thoroughly fleshed out. I think that was one of my complaints about mm. this season. Oh, but I did I did really like the Anthony and Kate pairing. And I mentioned it to you, Adam, before that the beasting scene, there's a scene when they're in the garden and Kate is stung by a bee. Mm-hmm. And Anthony just kind of understandably knowing what we know loses it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's the moment at which, and and again, as, as I remind people almost every episode, I have no training in psychology beyond my intro to psych class freshman year, Mm -hmm. um, which I think I got an A minus in. So I feel pretty Pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's something about that kind of keyhole traumatic moment Mm -hmm. that allows Anthony to feel and that allows him to not just be angry and frustrated, but also to really care. Not only because obviously he doesn't want somebody dying in front of him again, because that's not something really that anybody wants. Mm -hmm. But I think that that scene also, he enables him to open up. So Right. To what extent do you think as a psychiatrist that those moments of trauma can actually do that for us and can open us as well as, yeah. us as people? It can. I mean, there there is something, there's a, a phrase in, in my line of work called traumatic reenactment, and it can be an adaptive or maladaptive thing, but you know, people who've experienced terrible trauma, the witnessing of, of their father dying in front of them, for example, you know, 
can unconsciously recreate those scenarios. And in this case, it was the threat that this person he uh, had feelings for was going to die in front of him again. But uh, very cleverly, the show used it as a way to show his sort of like true self, that he had feelings. And that was a path for Kate to see him as a human being that she could also have feelings for, you know? And so, like you said, that was the, it was a very sexy scene somehow that uh, he was terrified, but then also suddenly very turned on. The two of them were very close to kissing and, you know, and those things, again, they go back to that early evolution of like fear, you know, attraction, rage, anger, feeling vexed. All of these things are so closely related in not so much our uh, well-developed frontal cortex, but, you know, deeper structures. So I think that the show did a nice job of, of juxtaposing those things together. So who would you opt to treat? If you had to pick yeah. a character to have on your couch mm-hmm. coming, in, coming in for therapy, who would you treat and how do you think that you might be able to help them? That's a good question because this show, unlike some of the other shows we've uh, discussed, this show is almost designed like by the end of the season, it's going to be tied up in a bow for the characters that they're focusing on. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, and so uh, in both, you know, the Duke's case and Daphne's case and Anthony's case, I wouldn't, in, in Kate's case, none of them, by the end of, the, of their seasons, I feel like they're in pretty good shape. They're going to be fairly well, you know, they're going to, it's, it's, not quite happily ever after, but it's pretty close in terms of a, grown, a show aimed at grownups. So, you know, I'd actually love to, uh, I'd love to get, we haven't really talked about like uh, Benedict, the the next brother in line, mm-hmm. but he has such an interesting, he has such interesting potential because he, he's an artist. He sees, he has access to this life that involves parties of sexuality and painting and drugs. And there are all kinds of things that are out there that he is tempted by, and he's still a member of high society. And so I I would love to be able to work with a person, a character like that, and try to figure out, well, what is it? What are the things that you want out of this life that you have? You know, this, this one life, what do you want? And I think if, I don't know, I have no idea what character they're going to focus primarily on on in season three, but I hope it's either him or Eloise, who we haven't even mentioned. I just adore Eloise's character too, uh, because it's a person out of time. It's a person who their values don't align with the society that they're in and their position that they were born into. And those characters, there's so much potential for sitting them on the couch and actually trying to figure out with them what's important, what are your values, and how do you actually try to achieve them? So that, that's my answer. It's unfulfilling in the sense that Anthony and Simon are both, uh, you know, the the Duke and uh, you know the Viscount. They they've they and their lovely wives, Daphne and Kate. Like they, they're they're good. You know, I feel like they're sort of right where they want to be right now. Probably <laughs> having sex. <laughs> Definitely having sex. I mean, having a lot of sex. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, did people have like? rapturous outdoor sex like at that time oh no i feel like there's like a lot of staff on the grounds so i don't know like <laughs> like I, I don't know but, 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 but i, I did love i did love the the concept of being caught in the garden with a man, you know, like as like the biggest, you know. Uh, yeah, like thing. like man, now you're getting married. Right, right, right. Well, I guess that's solved. You have to get married now that you 
been holding an orange with someone who's your cousin, you know? You know uh, how it is. Yeah. 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 It seems like there are a lot of ways where that could go wrong, but you know, no one asked me to make these rules. So it, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. yeah no, I, I listen. It's so much. The show is so much fun and it feels very much like this is like the the ice cream sundae of shows that we've discussed because it doesn't totally like, you know, just like just fun. And, yeah. and I think that we're all allowed still, even now to have some especially fun. now. Yeah. Yes, especially now. Anyway, yeah. thank you so much, Adam. Thank you, Jordana. This is fun. Can't wait to let's let's uh, let's talk about season three whenever that should be, even oh. if it's two years from now. Okay. Uh, it, it, you know, there are so many good characters in this show. So, all yeah, right. Sure. Thanks everybody for listening, and thank you, Jordana. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.